take a morning, would you like in your Bibles to turn to the book of Romans? That might feel like a slight curveball for some of you who've been here through the summer when we've been looking at uh, uh, Colossians. We may resume looking at Colossians another time. I feel to look at Romans today. And so if you'd like to turn to the book of Romans in chapter 4. And we're going to start reading just a few verses from verse 18. Ah, oh, I see I've been a little bit hasty. If there are people who don't have a Bible with them today but would like to follow one, uh, we do have some spares. Would you like, in which case, to put your hand up and someone will bring one round to you? I'll just give a few more moments for that before we read from Romans. Incidentally, we were last time when we were in Colossians a few weeks back now. Um, we're looking at the verse where Paul tells the Colossians to, uh, to walk in their life in the same way that they received Christ as Lord. So we looked at how they had received Christ as Lord by faith and therefore they became children of God. So that whatever then their, their feelings then tell them, they know that by faith, God says, you're my child. So people coming forward just now, um, kind of maybe in a slight state of confusion, thinking, well, who am I? What matters is, what does God say about you? Who does God say you are? God says, if you've received him as Lord, if you've repented and put your faith in him, you are a child of God. And we were looking at that. God has done something absolutely impossible, and we've come to faith in a God who does an impossible thing, transforming us so that we can be his child. And that's how we live. That's how we continue to move on in life. And as I was dwelling on that, I thought, for our, for our kind of benefit, it might be helpful to look at an example of someone from the Scriptures who succeeded in kind of walking by faith. Walking by faith even when circumstances seem to suggest that, uh, that really maybe he'd got something wrong. Let's have a look at verses 18 through to about 20. We're going to look at the example of Abraham and Abraham's faith. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. You know, sometimes, like Abraham, we can be aware of great promises in our lives. Great promises. Uh, he was aware of great promises over his life, that his offspring would be like the stars. That's what we're going to spend some time looking at today. We've got great promises over our lives, that we're children of God, and that one day we're going to dwell with him in eternity, that he's working out his plans and purposes in our lives uh, for his glory. And sometimes doubts come in. Sometimes circumstances can present an obstacle, can present difficulty to us. We think, do we really get this right? Sometimes the where we want to be and where we feel God has called us to be ultimately might not feel like it matches up with where we are right in the here and now. And so people are coming forward with a sense of kind of confusion. 
where are things at at the moment? Can I really trust God? I thought God had said this, but now my feelings are telling me otherwise. We can think that about salvation. We can think that, yes, I've I repented then, but what about now? My performance seems to be all over the place. Am I still saved? We can have doubts like that. We can have a feeling of God's call on our own lives to kind of like a specific purpose, a specific calling. God said something way back then. What about now? My circumstances just don't seem to quite match up with that. So we're going to look at Abraham's story. Abraham's story, the amazing promises that God had said over Abraham. The question was, you know, who did he say he was? It was irrelevant. God had amazing promises for him, and God told him what, who he was to become. He had amazing promises. God encountered him several times and started to tell him of the plans that God had for him. So there's several places we can see that. And if we turn into Genesis, Genesis chapter 17, Genesis 17, that's one place which kind of clearly elaborates what God said to Abraham, what promises God gave to him. So in chapter 17 and uh, verse 4, this is, God speak. this is God speaking. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Quite simply, amazing promises. Amazing promises. There's this guy would be very fruitful. God was saying, I'm going to make a nation out of you. Out of you is going to come a whole nation of people. Descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now, if you go outside of your back door and look at the sky at night, because we live in quite a big city, you'll look up the sky and you maybe see a few stars. Uh, But if you did that back then, or if you live perhaps in a very, very rural and remote spot, and you looked up at the sky at night on a clear night, you would see just the kind of entirety, well not maybe the entirety, but the galaxy of stars all around us, like a big thick belt in the sky, a huge number of stars. That's what Abraham saw. And God said, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as that. Not only that, God was promising to give him an everlasting possession, a land to live in. So rather than being a nomad for all the time, he had an inheritance, he had something he was looking forward to. Amazing promises. Not only was he to be the father of a nation, but God was also saying to him, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And even in that, you'll be a blessing to every nation. All peoples, it says in Genesis 12:3, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And we know that that promise is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. That through Abraham's descendants, there was one to come who would bless the entire world, who would save the entire world through a perfect sacrifice of himself on our behalf so that all of us could come into God's family. So that was coming in Jesus. God promises it all beforehand here. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
Now, what makes these even more remarkable is that, naturally speaking, this was absolutely impossible. There was absolutely no way of this happening. God was promising things that totally didn't match with where Abraham was at. You know, God says, you're going to be a father. I'm making you a father. But that was, frankly, impossible. He was an old man. Um, at the time that God began to speak to him this way, he was already 75 years old. And at that stage, had not started a family. I don't know about you, 75 sounds like quite an old age to be thinking of becoming a father. Um, it was impossible. There was really nothing that was going to make this happen. Not only so, but his wife was unable to have children. So it wasn't just unlikely, it was absolutely impossible. And yet God said, I'll make your offspring as numerous as the stars. There's what God said was kind of over here. Naturally, their circumstances were over there. Sometimes for us, what God says is over here. God says, I'm a child of God. Sometimes we feel like we're over here. I just don't get it. I just don't see it. I can't see how this is possible. Sometimes God will give massive promises over our lives and say, this is the plans and the purposes I have for you. And we'll just feel there's a mismatch here. There's a, there's a gap. I don't see how this can ha- happen. So we see that the promises Abraham received from God were amazing, phenomenal. They were quite literally kind of global, beyond compare, but absolutely impossible. They would seem utter foolishness. And yet, something enabled Abraham to hold on to this promise. Something enabled him to keep walking in his relationship with God, not just to kind of forget this as just sheer fanciful ideas. And it's this, as we were reading in Romans, Abraham was strong in faith. He was a man who knew how to walk in faith. He's one of the heroes of the faith. There are other people in Scripture. And God speaks to them. And it doesn't match up with where they're at. God speaks to Gideon and says, you're, going to be a mi- you're a mighty warrior. I see you as a mighty warrior. But at that time, he was cowering and afraid. His circumstances didn't match up with what God said. And yet, God was still going to achieve this. Abraham also, a man of faith. And I want us to spend a bit of time looking at two aspects of Abraham's faith, two aspects in which his faith was strong to hold on to what God was saying to him. First of all, we see, slightly unusually, that Abraham faced the facts. Abraham faced the facts. It says back in Romans 4, verse 19, without weakening In his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. This is a remarkable aspect of Abraham's faith and must also be a remarkable aspect of ours. Abraham knew his own position. In one encounter with God, the Lord comes to him in a vision and tells him, don't be afraid. I'm your shield. I'm your great reward. Abraham, before God, faces the facts and says, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Abraham wasn't kind of ignoring where he was at. He wasn't just kind of like shutting his eyes and whistling in in the dark, sticking his head in the sand. No, he believed 
he knew what his, his facts were. He knew what this situation was. He wasn't kind of ignoring that. In Hebrews 11 and verse 11, it says, By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, he was enabled to become a father. He faced, he faced the facts. Even though he was past the age, Sarah herself was barren. Their circumstances over here did not suggest that God could really do what he'd said over here. He faced those facts. He faced up to reality. Um, he was old and always getting older, and Sarah was barren, unable to have children. And that might seem like an unusual aspect of faith. Faith is kind of surely victorious. Faith is surely always kind of just trying to shut away doubts and fears and uh, just ignore stuff that seems to not be matching up. Abraham faces fate, facts. So, does Paul, Paul who writes this letter to the Romans in other places, he faced the facts about himself. You know, in 2 Corinthians, he's writing to the Corinthian church there, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, he states what his confidence is, and it's a bizarre confidence. Such confidence, it says there, such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent to claim anything for ourselves. It sounds odd. He's confident, but that doesn't mean he's confident in himself. It doesn't mean he's confident in where he is at personally. It doesn't mean he's confident in his own abilities to kind of make things happen. He's not confident in his kind of abilities to, um, to achieve what God said he will do. His confidence is, is not that. He's, he's not competent, he says. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything uh, for ourselves, but our confidence comes from God. In other places, he, it sounds bizarre to our ears. He, he boasts in his weaknesses. He says, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses because that's when God reveals his power. So I know the situation. I know this doesn't look great. I know that my kind of abilities don't match up with what God says will happen, but my confidence is not in this. I'm, I'm facing the facts. Truly strange, but we need to be the same in, in facing the facts as well. For one very good reason. We want to avoid living in kind of unreality, in kind of escapism. Um, we're not coming here to kind of escape from the world and, and try and overlook things that, are, that seem odd to us, where there's con, kind of confusion, where we don't quite see or don't quite understand what's going on. We face up to the facts. We're not kind of getting into kind of unreality or escapism. We're facing facts. And that is the first stage that Abraham went to. Now someone might say, well that's, that's fine for Abraham. His faith enabled him to do that. His faith enabled him to consider his own weaknesses, his own flaws and frailties, and, and his faith remains steadfast, but I, I don't feel I've got that strength. You know, I'm all too familiar with uh, with my weaknesses, with what's going on in the here and now, if I stop to consider just for a moment the situation that I'm in, it sends me down the pan. And um, you know, perhaps we're kind of praying for healing and holding out for what we feel God has said about kind of health. And yet over here, we're just not feeling it. If we kind of consider where we're at, we think this doesn't, this doesn't match up. And if I consider that, I, I get disillusioned. 
how is God going to come through in this situation? How can I believe that God will, will use me? It's important, therefore, to see the second thing, the second remarkable aspect of, of Abraham's faith. He didn't stay there. He didn't stay there kind of facing those facts. He didn't stay there kind of just going in on himself and thinking, oh no, this is hopeless. He faced those facts, but he soon turns away. And he turns towards something else. He looks to his God. He looks to his God. We see that in as it talks here in Romans 4. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. He lifted up his eyes and he gave glory to God. For our faith to grow and become stronger, we need to do the same. Commenting on this passage, a 20th century preacher uh, who was at Westminster Chapel, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the doctor, uh, said this, Abraham considered God. He considered who God is and what God is. This is how he gave glory to God. It does not mean primarily anything that Abraham said or anything that Abraham did that followed. Abraham glorified God by just realizing who and what God is. In other words, he contemplated and meditated upon all the glorious attributes of God. He gave glory to God. He lifted his eyes up and he saw how great his God is. Now, as we come and we gather and we sing in our times of worship and praise together, it's not just a kind of a, a filler for time. It's not just to... Uh, use up time in that way, one wonderful spin-off for us as we lift our eyes and as we have been doing this morning, sing of, of who God is and the fact that our God reigns and kind of thank him that we can trust in Christ. What is that doing for us as we glorify him? It's strengthening our faith. We're fixing our eyes on God. We're focusing our hearts and minds upon his awesome and perfect character. His awesome um, attributes, everything about him that is beyond compare. We look at our facts, but no, we, we're coming to fix our eyes on who our God is. And our faith is stirred, our faith is encouraged by considering these things. Abraham in particular considered God in a couple of ways. He gave glory to God in this. He considered God's power. Verse 21, he was fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. He was not focusing on his own abilities to make things happen. He was focusing on God's ability to do things. You know, God had shown him the stars. God had shown him the stars that God himself had put there. God had already shown him, this is my ability. I can do this. I have put stars into space. And as we've been looking at Colossians in previous weeks, we've had the opportunity to kind of reflect on God and his power in Colossians 1 and 15 to 17, where it says, talking about the Son of God, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. 
All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. An excellent statement. In fact, there is some suggestion that in fact that was in fact a song, an early song in the, uh, in the Colossian church. We see there that Jesus is not only the one who creates everything, but the one who sustains everything. The one who has power to do what he's promised. The one who had power, and we see that power in what he's done, in what he's created. God said, let there be light in the expanse of the sky. He commanded it into being. And just by speaking out, nothing obeyed God and became light. Nothing obeyed God and became the stars in the sky. And this was not difficult for God to do. It was not difficult for him to achieve it. God created sun, moon and stars by just speaking out a single word. And it only took one day in which to do it. We've got a glorious God who's never the one to grow tired or weary. We've got wonderful promises in Scripture, say from Isaiah, where we know that even young men grow weary and faint. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll rise up on the wings of eagles. Because God never grows weary. Psalm 121 reminds us, He's the one who's always watching out over us. He doesn't grow weary or tired. He's always at work, never ceasing to bring about his purposes and plans. And his power is not exercised in some haphazard way, but according to a specific and purposeful design. He doesn't make promises, in other words, and then have to rethink, then have to kind of try and do things differently, then have to say, oh, I might have to just bargain that one differently. No, his power is exercised. It's not haphazard. If he says something, it can be relied upon. We face the facts, but we're facing the glorious power of our God who can achieve all things. We're facing the facts that sometimes we don't have ability to make things happen as maybe we'd like to. But God has power. God also is faithful. That's another thing that God, uh, that Paul, see, uh, that Abraham sees in God and so glorifies his God. God is faithful. There's a similar passage in Hebrews where it talks of Abraham's faith there. In Hebrews 11 and verse 11. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. The circumstances seemed unpromising, but God's faithfulness is promising. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving towards all he has made. So for us, as we're walking through life and we're thinking, how do, our, how do we hold on to the promises of God? How do we reconcile those moments when our circumstances and who we feel we are doesn't quite match up with what God says about us? We do it as Abraham did it. By faith, we're those who are walking in faith. We've received something that's impossible. So if other things seem impossible, that's not an obstacle for God. We might come across obstacles in our lives, things in our way that seem to kind of obstruct the purposes of God. But God is not only powerful, 
he is faithful and he is able to do what he has promised. We have great promises over our lives and promises that we will be fulfilled, having received eternal life and the promise that one day we're going to be with him in glory forever and ever. Sometimes those doubts can creep in. Who am I? Confusion can come. Is this really true? Is this really what it's cracked up to be? And we need to remind ourselves of God's power to achieve what he said he will do. God is able to complete the work that he began in each one of us. That was true of Abraham. God was able to complete the work that he began in Abraham, even though he was 75, even though he was well advanced in years. He received those promises when he was 75. How is he going to become a father? No, well, God worked it out. God brought that into being. Abraham's age was no limitation on being called and chosen and used by God. And so God accomplished great things in him. For us, age is no limitation to being used by God. Age, we don't get to a certain point and then the promises of God become null and void and we kind of pass on the baton to another generation and we sit back. No, God is as with us, whatever our age now, um, as when he's spoken to us in the past. Age is no limitation to being used by God. So when we consider for ourselves, how do we walk with God? How do we walk with God? when things don't quite match up with how we expect them to be. As we've seen in Colossians, we're going to walk by faith. And we've got a wonderful example in Abraham of a man who walked by faith, who faced facts, but he also looked and gave glory to God. He gave glory to God, who is powerful and faithful to do everything that he has promised. Let's pray.